we thank you for all the wonderful things that you have prepared for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the assignment that you have for each and every one of us. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, get your Bible out if you have it. Let's make this confession. The word of God is truth. If I live the word, I will be blessed. If I don't, I won't. It's just that simple. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, it's just that simple. It is just that simple. It's good to see all of you here. I know Pastor John sent his love and Brad. My wife Pam is out in Oklahoma and will be back. She's actually at Victory Christian Center right now with the service there, but she'll be back very shortly and How many of you believe that God has a whole lot more for you in your life? Even though it's great where it is right now, how many of you think there's a lot more for you to do? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'll give you the answer. There is a lot more for you to do. So tell them, there's a lot more for you to do. And uh, the word of the Lord today is responding to adversity. Uh, How many of you really enjoy adversity? Uh, that, that basically a simple definition, you can look in the dictionary and find a whole lot, but basically when things aren't going the way you thought they would go, and things don't even seem to be going the way that you think God wants them to go, that's an adverse situation. And how many of you realize you do face adversity from time to time? Now, if you're not really sure, lift up your hand, I won't lead you astray, and just say, I do sometimes face adversity. Turn to your, turn to your neighbor and tell them, we all do. How you respond to adversity will determine whether or not you go to the next level with the Lord or whether you stay right where you are or sometimes even digress a little bit. And we meet adversity basically in two arenas. Number one is the arena of faith. Everybody say, I like faith. Number two is the arena of fear, where we start to shrink back from something. Now, if we're all honest, we all experience fear. And we all exhibit faith from time to time. What we have to determine is how we're going to handle the fear that tries to attack us and how we walk in the fullness of what God has for us. How many of you like to laugh? I asked this last Sunday or two Sundays ago. That's what I got last night. About four hands went up. <laughs> Turn to you and say, this is the participative service. Humor me along. John will be back next Sunday. But give me a little bit of you, and I'll give you a little bit of of me. But I, I think that there's power in joy. How many of you realize, three weeks ago, I destroyed my laptop? I thought I damaged my laptop. I took it to Computers Made Easy. They're now going to introduce an anger management course for laptop users. And I'm going to be the first enrollee. What I thought was going to be about a $200 or $300 repair job turned out to be a new laptop. I have to buy a new laptop. Now, at first I started to cry about it. Then I felt really bad about it. And now I am laughing about it every time I see Pam walk by watching me use her laptop. And and she wants to make sure that I've learned from that other one because she doesn't want to lose her laptop. Now, you know... Isn't it amazing how some things bring fear and anguish and disappointment into our life? A week, two weeks, three weeks, three months later, they're funny. 
and we can laugh about them. Why do we waste all that time not laughing about it? Now, when I destroyed my laptop, not knowing it was totally destroyed, it really wasn't the time for me to start laughing because my wife was watching me wondering, who is this guy I thought I was married to? But, but, but there is a time when we've got to get right back into the center of the will of God. And there's a story that Pastor Doherty used to tell. I, I always liked it, but he was a story about an old farmer. And, and it was during the turn of the century, and they didn't have checks. And sometimes we need to have things explained to us in a way that they will, underst- will understand them. Do, do you under- it's like, like that old bull in the field. Sometimes the farmer got and hit the bull upside of the head with the two before. and said, why do you do that? Because he understands me when I, resp- when I act like that around him. Sometimes we just need to have things explained a little differently, right? So turn to your neighbor and tell him, fear is not your problem. I turn back to him and say, what you think about it is your problem. God gave us the victory. Do we not have the victory? So this old farmer, he dealt with cash, the way some farmers still do. And he just dealt in cash. And one day he did some work for this guy. And this old boy gave him a piece of paper. And he said, where's my money? And he said, that's a check. And he said, what do you do with a check? And he said, uh, you take it to the bank and you cash it. And he said, I just deal in money. He said, I don't have any money. All I have is a check. So the farmer trusted the guy, so he took the check and he went to his bank. And he'd not done that before, but he knew where the bank was. And he'd always dealt with cash. So he walked in the bank and he gave him the check. And, and he said, I want my money. The teller said, you have to sign the check. He said, I ain't signing nothing. He said, well, you're not going to get your money. So he grabbed the check and he walked out the door and he didn't want to do it. He went across the street. This bank on the corner there, he walked in the bank, handed it to the teller, a little bit gruffer teller. Said, I want my money. Said, you have to sign your check. Said, I ain't signing nothing. Teller reached through there, grabbed him, pulled him up against the check, smashed his little head right into the thing. Said, you sign the check right now, you get your money. Farmer signed the check, got his money, walked across the street, went to the other bank, flashed his money to him. Said, I got my money. Teller said, how'd you do that? He said, that explained it a lot differently over at that other bank. (laughs) Sometimes we need to have things explained a little differently to us. A person like me who has been delivered from fear will come across with a lack of compassion to fearful people. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. It isn't that you try, but I used to be, years ago, a fearful person. I hate it. I detest it. Fear is like cancer. It eats you away. It stops you. It's a torment that comes into your mind that can become a phobia, and God will never be able to use you to take you where he wants you to go. And what it will do, it will restrict you in areas of your life. And we're going to go to Mark chapter 4 in just a moment. But if you understand, John and Brad were going to the Sudan, and John, John, up until the last moment, we weren't sure whether John was going to go or not. So I told Brad, and Brad and I were having a cup of coffee one morning, I said, well, go by yourself. He says, well, yeah, I could. I, I could do that. I don't know how Sandy would feel about that. And I said, oh, it's no big deal. And he said, he said have you ever done it? And I said, well, once. And he said, how were you? And I said, scared. <laughs> This is, this is exactly what happened. The first time I went to the Sudan was in 2005. Some of you remember with Greg Ford. 
And Greg Ford and I went over there, and he took care of everything, and it was a great time, and, and just really my heart was touched and knit to Pastor Stanley's. And then the second time I went with Greg Ford again, and everything was great, and it, it, it's a different place. You really, especially back in 2005 and six, you, you just definitely want to know you're, you need to be there or supposed to be there. Uh, it, it's a little different. So the third time, I was to meet Greg Ford in Detroit. And I got a call in Detroit, and Greg said, hey, Bill, I can't make it. Uh, you go on ahead, and I'll catch up with you later in the, in the Sudan. And so I'm in Detroit Airport, man of faith and power, thinking, whoa, I hadn't planned on this. I don't even remember exactly how you get through customs. And I thought about calling Pam, and I thought, you know, I better not call Pam because she's going to be concerned. I better figure out what God wants me to do in this situation. Well, I finally went on in by myself and got to this little hotel we stay in at night. It's a lot different staying with a hotel with you know somebody than if you don't know anybody or have anybody with you. And, and being a, a, a foreign person there, it was just really, really difficult. And I went up into my room that night, and I was praying. I said, and God, there's a whole lot of people down there. Maybe I should go down there and make friends. And this is what I heard in my spirit. Stay in your room and pray. <laughs> I stayed in my room and I prayed all night long and I had a great time. And then the next day, Greg Ford showed up. But everybody said, fear is real. How you process it determines whether or not you're going to walk out the victory. And, and we're going to read here in just a moment in Mark chapter 4. Uh, the, the, the essence of what I believe this story is about when Jesus had been praying and teaching and everywhere Jesus went, he prayed and he illustrated the examples to the disciples and to the people. And he told them all, I want you to get in a boat and we're going to go to the other side. Now God has you in a boat and how you handle the boat you're in right now will determine whether or not you're going to get in a bigger boat and go other places and do other things. And uh, when I was at this FHA or this uh, uh, meeting God has opened the door and put me with people of great means. I am absolutely amazed. Uh, just person after person that God has, it, it's a supernatural move of God. I, I know it is. And, and not too long ago, I told Stanley, and this was way back in 2006, it just came right out, out of my spirit. I think I've shared this with you before, but Stanley, what would you do if you had $50,000? Back then, that was a lot of money. Come to think of it, it's still a lot of money today. <laughs> but uh, it's $50,000. And he said, $50,000? He said, where are you going to get $50,000? I said, I don't know, but what would your priority be? He gave me the priority. Later on, then God gave us the complete plan for the first putt-putt golf tournament. We raised $50,000. We have a church in Vineyard Church up in Griffin, Indiana. Griffin, Indiana. They heard about our tournament, and I have met some of their people. They were so excited about it. They found a a 54-hole putt-putt golf uh, course up there. They're going to do the same thing. Glory to God. Let's give the Lord a hand. and, And I told them. I said, well, you need to hit over 70,000 because that's the record so far. So we're going to have a little contest with the Vineyard Church up there and find out. Because last year we went for 100,000. We got 70. This year we're going to get a lot more than that. But, but this is what, what came to me the other day. I was talking to Stanley. And he said, I said, Stanley, what would you do if you had a million dollars? And he says, we're all over again. Where are you going to get a million dollars? That's the same place that got the $50,000. He's got, he's got a lot of money. And so what we're talking about is taking it to the next level. Tell, tell your neighbor, God's got the next level waiting for you.
this guy came up to me that I, I, I knew I had met in a sedan at this uh, uh, ag fish fry. And uh, he said, hey, I want you to meet somebody. And he introduced me to this guy, and this guy left. And I, I said, who was he? And he says, that's that guy I told you about. And then it clicked with me. He, he says, this guy sponsors million-dollar projects over in the sedan. He does. Yeah, I said, I would have talked to him a lot longer if I had known that. <laughs> but this guy said, I would like to meet with you and talk to you. Now, is this going to be a million dollars? I don't know. Maybe just a half a million. But either way, we'll take it. Now, <laughs> no, but, but in other words, we need to change our expectancy from a day-to-day living to being a kingdom kid. Tell your neighbor, I'm a, king, I'm a king's kid. We are part of royalty. And whatever God has for us and whatever he shows us to do, we will do it. I remember when people would say to me when we had that first putt-putt golf tournament, $50,000, said, are you sure? I said, no, but I believe God is. I'm sure of what I hear. How many of you are sure of what you hear? Please raise your hand. When you hear something, you know you hear it, do you not? Let's just say, I am sure what I hear. What you're not sure of is where you're hearing it from. Can you all be in agreement with that? I don't know where I heard this from, but I know I heard it. We have to have confidence in what we hear and not let fear take it away from us the moment it happens. And in Mark chapter 4, verse uh, 35 on. I'm going to paraphrase some of it for you, but but basically Jesus said to the disciples after teaching them about a, a mustard seed and, and how faith worked and how it would grow, he said, let's cross over to the other side. If you really study Mark, Jesus was constantly getting in a boat and going to the other side. And then they get back in the boat and go to the other side. Now these disciples all get in the boat because Jesus told them what to do. And there were other boats with them. And in verse number 37, it says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat against the boat since it was already filling. And Jesus, in verse 38, says, He was asleep in the boat, and and they came to him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And in my, my Bible, I wrote next to perishing, Who told them they were perishing? They saw a storm that came. And Jesus finally awoke and said, Oh, ye of little faith, and spoke to the storm, and the storm was gone. And they went right on through it to the other side. And as soon as they got there, they delivered a guy and, and set him free. And, and, and the power of God began to manifest there. And then Jesus rebuked them and said, Oh, ye of little faith. What was the real problem? Some people think the problem was that they didn't rebuke the storm, that they didn't make the storm go away. I have found in my life storms come and storms go. How many of you have found that? Adverse situations come, they go. There are, there are about four different ways you can handle a storm. Number one, you can go through it. Number two, you can go around it. Number three, you can go over it. Or number four, you can rebuke it and it'll go away. I have never seen a storm go away that I have rebuked, but I've gone through a lot of storms. Now, that's not to say that we are not to rebuke storms. But I believe the essence of what we just read here are this. Jesus told the disciples what? Get in a boat and go to the other side. Have you ever got in the proverbial boat to do what God told you to do and all hell breaks loose and the storm clouds come and they manifest? That doesn't mean that just because you rebuke the storm and the storm doesn't go away, you get out of the boat. It doesn't mean you turn the boat around. It means you go right through the eye of that storm. Or you go over that storm or you go around that storm. There's nothing wrong 
with a good storm when you're doing what God called you to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be afraid of storms. I'm amazed sometimes at people in the natural realm who are fearful of a storm when it's coming. Now, you have to have common sense. But, folks, storm clouds are forming. They are forming all over the world. And we are facing things in our lives today that we are going to face before the rapture of the church. I don't know how many of you followed some of the uh, programs that you get on the Internet and some of the books you're reading. But I, I tell you, you can find anything out there today. Make sure you got a year's supply of food. Make sure you got five years' supply of food. Make sure you got all sorts of water. Make sure you've got electrical background, I mean, electricity and generators and all this kind of stuff. Well, folks, how many of you think it would be a good idea to have a flashlight in your house? There's nothing wrong with having a flashlight in your house. But that doesn't mean you have to run out and buy a case of flashlights. doesn't mean you have to go out and buy a case of water or two cases of water or have enough food, but you do need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And what happens is when we get tuned into the Holy Spirit, we're not afraid of anything. Now, I love to preach and have you repeat things, and I love for you to write it down. Why? Because what you say, what you think, and what you write has about a 70 to 80% retention rate. What you hear one time goes in one ear, goes around a little bit for some of you. Some of you just shoots right out the other ear. And you don't even remember it afterwards. You say, well, I think he was funny, but what did he say? Well, I don't know, but I laughed a lot. That's not going to cut it when the storm clouds come. You're going to have to know how to sail through that. <clears throat> I, I detest fear and so should you. So just, just tell your neighbor, I detest fear. Now, Joe, I may talk about you. I may not. I don't know. But it just, it, it just excites me every time I think about it. Whenever I think about fear, we're down in Florida. And John and Elizabeth and I and some of the others, we decided to go parasailing. And we find out that at that moment, Joe was a little concerned about heights. Only at that moment. He's a little concerned about heights. Well, we didn't realize that until Joe started hedging about going parasailing. Well, being the sweet, loving, compassionate father-in-law that I am, and John, the sweet, loving, compassionate brother-in-law, we goaded him until there was no possibility that he could get out of going with us. So we went parasailing. And the guy let Joe finally out, and he went up a little white knuckle and let her out. He got him up so far, and then they have an extra length they give you. And we're in the boat, and Joe's way up there, and, and this guy says, should we let him out a little bit higher? Say, so, yeah, let him out all the way. He loves heights. <laughs> it's exactly what we said. They let Joe out all the way, so he was way up there, a little blip in the air. When he finally came back down, what did you say, Joe? He said, I love it. I want to do that again. Let's give the Lord a hand. When you overcome your fears, you will see an entire different world out there. An entirely, entirely different world. And what happens is you've got to get to the point. And, and some of you have heard this story too. I, I always share, I, I share it a lot. But uh, we took the youth one year to Kings Island. We used to take them every year. And Mike and Chris Buckmiller were the youth pastors. And that particular year, Mike couldn't go, but Chris went, and Pam and a bunch of others and leaders there. And at that particular moment, 
when all the kids were ride, going over to ride the beast. And, and, and Chris made this statement. She said, I'm not going to ride the beast. I, I'm afraid of the beast. And we said, oh, Chris, you can't be afraid of the beast. If you don't want to ride the beast, you don't have to ride the beast, but you can't be afraid of the beast. Well, I made a mistake, and I said it around the kids. The kids would not stop telling her about riding the beast. You can't be afraid. The last thing we did that night was Chris rode the beast. Everybody said, Chris rode the beast. She rode the beast. Now, if you don't know what that was, that used to be the fastest roller coaster in America. 63 mile an hour plunged into a hole. I love the beast. And uh, so anyway, she rode the beast. We got all finished. We said, we're so proud of you. We're so proud of you for riding the beast. And she said, that's right. I rode the beast. And I'm not afraid to ride the beast, but I'll never ride it again. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that was all right. But she said, I'll never ride it again. When we get to the point when, when we realize that there are basically two responses that we have to every situation in our life. Fear or faith. The determination as to how we respond is based by what you want to do. Now, do we have the victory over adversity? These are not trick questions. So do we have the victory over adversity? Okay. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to give you a scripture here that is a powerful scripture that is something that we should meditate all of the time regarding the victory that you and I already possess. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is what it said, verse 37. 57, I'm sorry. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So how should we be? Steadfast, immovable, always abounding. And when the door of opportunity opens and God floods us with all of his blessings, how should we be? Steadfast, immovable, Always abounding. When all sorts of hell breaks loose and adversity comes against us, how should we be? Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because we are not going to back down from fear. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I am not fearful. Now you may be here today and say, no, wait a minute. You're saying I'm not fearful, but I know the thoughts that I think. And I'm thinking fearful thoughts. You have been delivered from fearful thoughts. You have been set free from fear in your life. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment. So when you start to focus on what you have received versus what you are thinking, it will put you in a different plane. It will put you in a different level. We had a situation. I talked to the girl earlier. She said it was all right if I shared it. But years and years ago, we had an opportunity to take a group and do a Holy Spirit conference in Prague. And we went to Prague and, and, and a couple of other countries over there, and it was an absolutely awesome time. This one particular girl who wanted to go said, I'd like to go. Somebody asked me, said, yeah, I'd really like to go. And, and, and she said, but I, I don't want to go. I don't want to fly because I'm fearful of flying. Now, folks, we are fearful of what? Let's all say it like we really meant. Let's say, I fear nothing. Tell your neighbor, I fear nothing. Now turn back and tell them that doesn't mean you don't have common sense. Just because you're not fearful of anything does not mean you 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 do have common sense. And there's some things that the Holy Spirit will tell you. Don't do that. But you don't do it. You don't not do it because you're afraid. You do it and not do it because you know that's the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. But this, this girl didn't go, and I, and I talked to her since then. And, and, and she said, you know, I, I really wish we, you, I had gone with you. 
what happens is fear will always hold you back from where you want to go. I have something that I saw at the airport in Indianapolis the other day, and when I pick Pam up, I'm going to buy it. It's a little plaque. See if you can think about who this is. Because sometimes, how many of you have ever failed at something? Half of you, half of you need prayer for something else, I guess. But we've all failed. And what happens sometimes is if, if we let the failure get to us, we don't want to do it again. How many of you would like to be a multimillionaire? How many of you like to fail 70% of your time at what you do? Do you know how much a baseball player makes who fails 70% at the plate? Well, he bats 300, and he's a multimillionaire. He fails at the plate 70% of the time, but he's a multimillionaire. Now, turn to your neighbor and tell him, even you aren't that bad. <laughs> there isn't a single one of you failing 70% of the time. But that old boy is making multi-millions of dollars and he's failing 70% of the time. Failure does not make you a failure. Quitting makes you a failure. You keep trying. And this is the plaque that I, that I read. I've missed, see if you can think about who it is. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've, almost, I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times, 26 times I was trusted to take the game-winning shot and I missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. That is why I succeed. I have never been afraid to fail. You know who that is? Michael Jordan. Give him a hand. Michael Jordan, arguably, probably one of the greatest basketball players that ever played the sport. Failure is not a bad thing. Turn to you and say, failure is not a bad thing. Now, I know this is a funny joke, but if failure, if you learn from all of your failures, most of you should be brilliant by now. <laughs> We've all failed. So I learned from that. Whoa, I got a PhD I'm working on because we've all failed, but we're going from glory to glory, and that's what God wants. Now, this is what I want to share with you because uh, it, it, the essence of it is in Matthew 24 and in first, uh, uh, Matthew uh, 24 and 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because when you look at John 14, 14, Jesus said, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Said, if there's a mountain in your way, speak to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and with no doubt in your heart, and that mountain will be removed. That mountain of adversity will be removed. So we are not going to back down from any adverse situations. But there are things that I believe that are coming in this world that we should be aware of. And if you look and study Matthew uh, uh, 24, and we're not going to go through that entire chapter, but Jesus is talking about what's going to happen just before the end time really manifests, just before the rapture of the church, the problems that are going to exist. Paul talks about it and expands on it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that perilous times will come upon us. Would you say that if you study the news, there are perilous times in Seattle? Would you say that there are perilous times in other areas of our nation? Would you say there are perilous times that seem to be coming to both of our coasts? There are things that are happening in America today that line up with the end time events. There are things that are lining up around the world that line up with end time events. That's not a time to be afraid. Turn your that's, that's not a time to be afraid. And I want to read a scripture to you in the book of Matthew because <clears throat> you need to be vigilant, but you never need to be fearful. 
And in Matthew chapter 24, I want to show you a scripture in verse number, it's Matthew 24, verse 34. And it's, it's talking about the second coming of man and how tribulation will begin and, and the sun being darkened and all sorts of challenges and wars and rumors of wars and all of those things, all of those things that most of us don't like to think about, right? I want to go from glory to glory. I want to go from victory to victory. Well, what about when those things begin to happen? Will the faint-hearted faint? Or will they stand up and respond by faith and say, my God will take care of me. My God will feed my family. My God will give me water. My God will give me victory. My God will rapture me and my family out of here when the moment is right. In the meantime, I'm going to be immovable, steadfast, and abounding in the work of the Lord. And I refuse to fear anything. Now, some people, they they try to rebuke a storm when you just need to go through the storm. You, there are people who are trying to rebuke end-time events that can't be rebuked. The game is on. The game is on. And what Jesus said is going to happen. Do you believe what he said? Don't we like John, 15, uh, John 14, 14? Ask anything in my name, I will do it. We love that scripture. How about Matthew 24? Hey, folks, it's going to get dark outside, and it's going to get bad out there, and we're going to have wars and rumors of wars, and we're going to have famine, and we're going to have earthquakes, and all that kind of stuff, we don't want any part of it. Folks, if you're not ready for something like that, you won't meet it by faith. When it happens, you'll meet it by fear. Let's say it. I fear nothing. It is good to know what is coming down the road. And if you know what's coming, it's a chance to build your faith for what's out there instead of coming away from it. Now, this is the verse I want to give you. The one thing I know for sure. Verse number 34 of Matthew 24. Nobody knows when the end is coming, and Jesus said that. But I've read enough from people that I respect and some who are really scholars on uh, end-time prophecy that when you read verse 34, this is what it says. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. And for many years in my life, I never understood that because Jesus spoke to the disciples all of this stuff and they're gone. And it says here that no, this generation will by no means pass until all of these things have taken place. But about 10 years ago, I started getting some input from people that I dearly respected that what Jesus was talking about was once the nation of Israel was reestablished, which took place on May the 14th, 1948, then these events will begin to be on the clock, the prophetic clock. So what he's saying here in verse number 34, Assuredly I say to you, that this generation that will see and be alive and be on the earth when the nation of Israel is reestablished will by no means pass away until all of these things come to pass. That means that the people that were alive when Israel became a nation, May the 14th, 1948, for many of you that was before your time, but for many of us that was during our time frame. Jesus is saying this is the generation that very easily could see the return of Jesus. That could be our generation. Will perilous times come? Yes. Can we rebuke the game plan that has already been set? No way. But you can be led by the Holy Spirit through it, and God will take care of you. Turn to your day and say, God's going to take care of me. 
Now, where we get a little flaky here is we don't think God's going to take care of us. Now, in John chapter 16, verse 33, see, there are a whole lot of people out there in the world that the world is full of fear. Have you noticed that? People in the world are full of fear. They're concerned about everything. But it says that in the world that you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We will have tribulation in the world, but we are going to be above that storm, or we'll go right through that storm of tribulation because we walk by faith and not by sight. So turn to your neighbor and tell them, tribulation is not going to bother me. Now, some people might say, oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't like that tribulation stuff. I don't want to go through that. Well, Jesus said we're going through it. He said we're going to live in it. John chapter 16, verse 33. Now, this is what it really means. I love the definition in the Bible uh, of, of tribulation. John 16, 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. What is tribulation? Pressure, oppression, stress, anguish, tribulation, adversity, affliction, crushing, squashing, squeezing, distress. Let's all say, I don't want any of that stuff. Charity and I don't want any of that stuff. Now, we're not going to have any of it if we don't let fear get a hold of us. Let me see the hands of the people you'd right now say, there are things in my life that bring fear to me, and I know it. Can I see your hands? Now, the devil is not a dummy. He's very smart. He's very good at what he does. He comes to kill, steal, and to destroy, but he can only do that by tormenting your mind. And as he comes along, and I'm not coming for you, by the way, but it looks like I'm looking right at you. But it's, <laughs> this, this is my daughter, and she happened to be on the end row. Got her daughter right next to her. <laughs> he comes to play with your mind, does he? He comes to play with your mind. He tries to put some thoughts in there. Any thought you will entertain, if you come to my house, you have to knock on the door. The doorbell wouldn't work right. I tried to fix it. I couldn't, so I disconnected it. So you have to knock on the door. You can't ring my doorbell. But nobody bothers me anyway. They come and push that thing, and then they finally leave. So I don't have to entertain, I don't have to entertain anybody. <laughs> That's true. That's really true. But, but you decide who you're going to entertain. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Everybody say that. My God will supply all of my needs. Now, if I need to go out and buy a bunch of drinking water and have my house, and the Holy Spirit tells me to do that, I'll do that. But if all hell breaks loose and I don't have any drinking water, I tell you what, my God will supply my drinking water. My God will supply my food. I am not going to be fearful, and I'm not going to buy a $999 package that will last me 20 years. And you might ask, how do you know how much that costs? Because I looked it up on the Internet. <laughs> And I thought, you got to be kidding me. You're ripping people off. I can buy spam for $3. <laughs> you, you, you got, you've got to use some common sense and leading of the Holy Spirit. I think, I think there's two meters. One of them uh, is over here, and, it, and it's totally off. It's like, oh, glory to God, the wor er, world's going to end tomorrow. And if you don't have 18 cases of dishonor, you got trouble. <laughs> And then the other one is, K, Sirrah, Sirrah, God will take care of everything. And then the other one's in the middle, like, hey, I don't know, man, you know, whatever. It's, it's like somewhere in there is where you and I should be, being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given power, love, and a sound mind. Let's say, I don't have a spirit of fear. Where does fear come from? It comes from the devil. Anytime you entertain fearful thoughts, you will attract the devil. When you 
release faith, the power of God goes into operation. So let's all say, I have power, love, and a sound mind. And that 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 says, Perfect love casts out how much fear? How much fear? How much fear? How many of you have the love of God resisting in you? How many of you love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength? Therefore, we have no fear, but fear comes, does it not? And it knocks. And it says there's going to be a storm tonight. Well, praise God for the storm. I rebuke any damage. I rebuke any problem it's going to bring into my family. I'm going through this. Yeah, but my, my checkbook went, went awry. I got, a th- I got a notice the other day when I, when I, I I'm not saying this proudfully, but when I, dam- when I destroyed my laptop and I have learned from it and I'm still paying for it. But somebody, I didn't say it for this reason, but somebody gave me a check for my stupidity. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And, and I have been believing Jesus. Not, not, but, but anyway, then the other day I was just like, well, God, I've still got some more money coming. I mean, I owe some more money. And, and I got something in the mail from Metropolitan Life on a 401k that I've, I've had for a long time, and I really forgot about it. And so I got it, and I looked, and I said, this is amazing. It says, if you don't start taking this money... At your age, you could lose 50% of this. And I thought, what do you mean at my age? And I, I, now, I now meet the qualification. i got to start draining. The, it wasn't that big of an account, but I have to start draining that stuff. But it came at just the right time. It's like, whoa, I can really use that money. That'll help buy my new laptop. So we turn every negative into a positive. Turn to your neighbor and say, that'll keep you busy. You turn every negative into a positive. Well, I did something wrong. Don't dwell on what you did wrong. Dwell on what you learned from it. The Word of God says that we have the same spirit of faith that raised Christ from the dead. Therefore, we speak what we believe. We determine what we believe first. Let the weak say, I am. Let the poor say, I am. God Himself speaks things that are not as if they were. We are supposed to walk, talk, and act like God. If God himself speaks things that are not as if they were, what should we be doing? 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. My God supplies all of my needs. I don't have to look at my checkbook. Matter of fact, I'm staying away from my checkbook because it would contradict what I know the will of God is. I have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. It doesn't matter what thought you just thought. Perish that thought. Let's stand to our feet. We get rid of negative stinking thinking and we start walking with a renewed mind. And we say, no matter what I encounter, I'm going to encounter it by faith. Faith is knowing what the word of God and the will of God is. Faith is knowing what you believe. I believe we are blessed coming. I believe we are blessed going. I believe we're the head, not the tail. I believe that everything we touch will prosper because God has gone ahead. I believe that I know who God is and I know who I am and you need to know who God is and who you are. You are in covenant relationship with God. God will take care of his children. Just like you care for your children. You'll do anything. You would lay your life down for your children. God laid his life down for you through his son Jesus. And he never, never will leave you nor forsake you. We are going from glory to glory. And I believe as we approach these last days, the storm clouds are going to intensify. I believe the world is going to become darker and darker and more fearful. But our light is going to be brighter and brighter. And the people are going to come to that light. And they're going to want what we have. Would you bow your heads with me? All over this church, I want to ask you this question.
We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you've drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.